Hey all, thank you for tuning into Women Birders Happy Hour. My name is Hannah. I'm a birder, a woman, and someone that enjoys a good drink after a long day of birding. Women have been integral to birding since it started, but we haven't always been recognized for the contributions and impact we have. Men have dominated the guiding scene, festival circuit, leadership positions, and publications. And according to a U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service 2011 report, in the U.S., there were over 47 million birders. The majority of these birders are college-educated, they are white, they are women, and mostly are over the age of 55. And if you put all these factors together, we create the typical birder, a white, college-educated woman over the age of 55. And that's a demographic that I often see out birding, but I don't as frequently see as a speaker, a guide, or a sole publisher. Additionally, the voices of all women, BIPOC, and LGBTQ plus birders are not well represented in the birding voices we hear from. So I created this show to bring in more voices. Not to say that some of the regular festival keynotes aren't great, but there is room for others. And on the show, I'm asking everyday women from all walks of life to join me to discuss their experiences, their resources, and advice that they have for others. And I want you to remember that just because you may not have experienced some of these things, like sexism or gatekeeping, doesn't mean that they aren't real issues that others face. And because some of these conversations are best had over a cocktail or a mocktail, I also create a unique cocktail for each guest in case you want to mix yourself a drink and join us for this chat. I'm sure I've discussed this before, but when I'm looking for those to interview for this podcast, I often look for the women on social media who inspire me whose pages make me feel happy or tell a story or encourage us all to be better. Brie contributes to her community in person and online in a way that makes the world a better place. So Northern Goshawks are a large exhibitor and they are considered a true hawk and their Latin name is Exhibitor Gentilis, which roughly translates to grasp and noble because in the Middle Ages, only the nobility were permitted to use goshawks for falconry. The species is widespread, inhabiting the temperate parts of the Northern Hemisphere, so um, throughout North America, Europe, and Asia. And they can be found in both deciduous and coniferous forests that are tall, old growth, with heavy canopy coverage and minimal undergrowth. And this favors hunting conditions. So goshawks have relatively short broad wings and a long tail, which helps them maneuver through forest habitats. Their coloration is blue-gray above or brownish-gray with dark barring and streaking over a white breast. Goshawks are found in northern areas. They tend to be paler, and those in warmer areas tend to be darker. Adults have a white eye stripe and dark red eyes, and females are significantly larger than males. So goshawks are found by themselves or in pairs, and they are highly territorial, maintaining a home range which is defined in display flights and can be almost 10,000 acres large. Their hunting style is as a perch hunter. Uh, They'll scan for prey from an elevated perch and then do a quick series of flights that are low to the ground. And once their prey is picked out, they will fearlessly pursue them, even if it makes them uh, go into thickets or water or barns and even houses. And they're pretty opportunistic and will take anything from small to medium mammals and birds. And in some parts of the range, corvids are apparently a large part of their diet. In another, it's doves and pigeons. In another, they prefer game birds. So they really have a lot of variability. And it's interesting because it's not only from area to area, but individual to individual can have preferred tastes of uh, prey items. 
And I'm shocked to find out how much information there really is about the species. So if you want to learn more about northern goshawks, I recommend you check out their Wikipedia page. It's probably the, one of the largest I've ever seen for a bird species or uh, birds of the world through Cornell. So here's how to make your northern goshawk. What you'll need is 16 ounces of ale, um, your preference. I used a red ale for this and one shot of Grey Goose. So it's pretty easy. All you need to do is pour in that shot of Grey Goose and then top it off with your ale. So I chose this combination for a northern goshawk because they have such a long history with humans. Um, for example, the Azores, just off of Portugal, was named after the Portuguese word for goshawk because they saw birds of prey, which they thought were goshawks, but later discovered to be kites or common buzzards and not goshawks after all. But they were historically the preferred raptor for falconry by the noblemen, and their name literally means goosehawk. So the ale represents a drink that would have been enjoyed after a day of falconry with your goshawk, and the gray goose, well, that's honoring their name, goosehawk. So please enjoy a drink and learn more about Brie. Okay, well, Brie, thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Women Birders Happy Hour. Would you please tell everyone who you are? Well, hi, thanks so much for having me. I really am honored to be asked to do this. Um, I'm Bree Tucker. I'm up here in Canada. I am from Calgary, Alberta, but I spent the last 20 years in Ottawa, Ontario, and that's really where I became a birder. Um, I've just recently moved back to Calgary. Uh, my whole family's here, so I've moved back home, and I live here now with my rescued English bulldog, Ernie, who might be snoring in the background, <laughs> so <laughs> that'll be him. Um, but yeah, I, I, I did go to school, um, but had nothing to do with birds, like, whatsoever. So I did an undergrad here in Calgary, and it was in anthropology and archaeology, so basically I, I wanted to be Jane Goodall, you know, <laughs> that was the dream, and I did do some primatology and actually did fieldwork in Texas, and with archaeology and anthropology in Mexico, and, uh, but after, you know, you realize the reality of how hard it is to become a primatologist for real, and, you know, <laughs> there's three of them in the world, right, that um, I sort of transitioned into physical anthropology or biological anthropology as it's called in the states and that's human skeletal analysis and so from there uh, I did a master's in forensic anthropology in North Carolina and uh, that's how I ended up in forensics uh, with the RCMP in Ottawa that's why I was in Ottawa all those years um, and I'll just add that yeah I was in Texas Mexico North Carolina and even lived in Wisconsin and guess what I was not a burger <laughs> so this is this is this, it's, it's hard it's hard for me to <laughs> get over this because it's so tragic right <laughs> um, <laughs> but it was it was Ottawa is where I really became a birder and um but I worked for the RCMP. I don't work there anymore. It was, uh, as you can imagine, forensics looks pretty cool on TV, but it's it's a heavy load. It's a lot. And I ended up leaving the force about four, four or five years ago now and got to live the awesome life of a retired birder, if you can believe it. So um, I'm, I'm back in Calgary now, but I'm transitioning back into the working world. So uh, it's, a, it's an adjustment. But yeah, it was great. Ottawa is is. Ottawa's where I became a birder, so, um, but I don't have any education or work experience in birds, sadly. <laughs> so your work in forensics, is that like, you know, like murder cases or was it like historic forensics? 
No, uh, like like murder and like like yeah, law enforcement and uh, yeah, heavy crimes, serious crimes, major crimes. Um, okay. So yeah, it was uh, um, it was heavy, heavy, heavy load. Yeah, so <laughs> but, I bet it's nice to have birding as like an escape from that. Oh, absolutely. That's what it became. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was that's exactly right. <laughs> so uh, tell me your birding origin story. Okay, so um, I was thinking about this and and how did it happen? So I always loved nature. I mean, I grew up in the Rocky Mountains, so always we were camping, hiking, you know, enjoying the mountains. And I loved nature and obviously wanted to work with primates. So that was, but I was never into a into birds necessarily. We had a bird feeder in the backyard and I always loved the little chubby birds, which I now know are house sparrows. <laughs> so anyway, I'd feed them. And then as an adult, I when I was setting up my own household, of course I had bird feeders in the backyard, but they were just, you know, I'd fill them now and then whatever and enjoy the birds. And um, it, when I started having some trouble with my mental health, uh, a lot stemming from work and everything, I started to pay more attention to the bird feeders. I was home and started really watching them and got to know, I got to know the backyard birds. I started to get into it, you know, really started to get to know the feeder birds, but I wanted to learn what was, what about the birds that don't come to the feeder? What are these hawks in the field? And I, I didn't know how to go about finding out what they were. I mean, I had a field guide, but you know, so hard. And this is how clueless I was. I had no idea that there was such a thing as local field trips or bird guides or, you know, that you could hire or go on or join. Um, I thought of a birding guide was that's thousands of dollars and you fly to Costa Rica like that. But <laughs> so once I found out that there was a local, um, club and, and local service local tour guides you know I oh I found I I got brave and anybody who know who knows me uh knows I have a little bit of trouble I'm shy and uh, you know I it's hard for me to put myself out there at first once I have friends I'm fine but um going by myself to something like that and at that time especially was really hard but I don't know how how I did it and I'm so glad I did because it obviously changed my life but I, I went to the parking lot and I met the group and, you know, um, I even had binoculars that I hoped were okay. And um, anyway, I, I really loved it. We went out, it was half, half day, just a morning. And I know it seems like just nothing now, but uh, I, these people, I, they were like magicians. I couldn't believe what they knew and what they could see. And, and starting out, you know how hard it is even to just use binoculars, you know, your aim is terrible. I, I'm sure I didn't see half the birds that were being pointed out to me or, you know, um, here it heard nothing. Birding by ear was a whole next level thing, but, um, it was fantastic. It was amazing. And, uh, that year actually, uh, this is a sidebar, but that year was in Eastern Ontario, we get a lot of snowy owls in the winter and, uh, it, it's just, they're just a very, uh, you can find them. They're pretty easy to find if you know how, now, well, easy now, but, um, that year though was an eruption year and it was the biggest eruption year. So, um, you know, it's about 10 years ago now. And, uh, there was like 20, 25 snowy owls in every field. It was insane. So for me to start out birding like that, you know, the next winter, I, I was like, where are all the owls? And, you know, now I, I came to learn about migratory patterns and things like eruption years, but um, that was pretty amazing. So through just, just going on those few first tours, I started to meet people and that's, that's it. I was hooked. That's it. I started birding. <laughs> I like how you just casually drop, like, we have a lot of snowy owls. Like, I drove four hours to go find a snowy owl. 
Oh, and it used, and me coming back here, um, I, I'm realizing the the difference. Like, uh, I, I'm basically starting over here because I wasn't a birder growing up he, here in Calgary, and now I'm studying eBird bar charts to find out. Well, when when is stuff arrive? Is it still winter here? <laughs> like, what? And you know, realizing that. Um, well, I'm not going to see wood thrush. <laughs> you know, just this stuff I didn't take for granted, but just. Uh, Oh, I, they're not here, of course. You know, it's kind of so. Yeah, yeah but yeah, it, it, Ottawa is a great birding place because it's a very huge migratory corridor. It's it's a trap, so it's great. Everything com that comes north and south, you know, and heads to, through Peely and all the awesome big birding festivals down there. Ottawa is a great place for vagrants, for migrants. So it's intense. <laughs> Good place to learn to bird. Yeah, that's so funny. I never so like. And I just never really think of Canada being like an amazing birding place, but I'm just finding out more and more about how like, you know, there are amazing places up there. It's just like, you know, as a, as a United States citizen, like it sounds so cold all the time up there. I just imagine I, Canada is always cold. I know. And, and I know that that's, it's, it's, a it's a, an image that, that is hard to shake. Like, yeah, we're the great white North. I know it, it's true. Like in here, especially, but, um, yeah, like if you you think about where Point Pelee is, uh, just way down in southern Ontario, and even Ottawa is a lot hotter, warmer. But yeah, it's you know that that close to the ocean. There's a St. Lawrence. It's it's a lot like uh, birding New York, New Jersey kind of thing. Okay. You know, yeah. So it can be like that. But yeah, elsewhere in Canada, there's great. Of course, there's great birding. You know, there's great birding everywhere. But it's yeah, it's an image uh, you can't really shake. <laughs> So when you go out and go birding, what does a day of birding look like to you? Oh, okay. Well, this is, uh, this is, this is, um, I, I thought a lot about this too. And even though this isn't my circumstance right now, but for me, birding all, oh, it was especially last winter. So it's the second year of the Ontario breeding bird Atlas. So, you know, it's five years and I think it's also New York's right now and uh, DC's, I think they're all at the same time. So I was really lucky. I was principal Atlas there for two squares that were, that were by me. So especially last for me, birding all day is, is like the best. It's what my friends that we, the group of birders I know call the death March, you know, you're out there, eight hours you're dehydrated you're tired you're slogging you're sweating or you're snowshoeing and freezing so um for me i spent a lot of time alone last winter especially because i was starting to atlas my areas and and uh it was an eruption year for winter finches so i was monitoring all these crossbills that i was hoping were, would start breeding um but i was out there in the morning in the forest just alone snowshoes and just all day uh, going all day and just barely making it to my car at the end, you know, three o'clock as it starts to get dark in the winter and, and uh, <laughs> just having had the best day, just slowly making my way through these forest tracks that I was so fortunate to live right by and then be assigned to Atlas. So it was, uh, that's, that's my kind of favorite day. Um, I love to bird alone. I, I do love to bird with other people as well. Um, the group of friends that, I got in Ottawa that I got to get to know and we did a lot of birding together. We called ourselves the birding posse. <laughs> we went around and we, we went to Peely together and, you know, went to Niagara and, and different uh, trips, but I loved birding with them too. Um, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's either, or I, I do prefer kind of being by myself more often, but it, it's also awesome to get together with other people. Cause I always learn something always. 
So what was the most unexpected thing you found on your, um, your burning bird survey? Oh, uh, the, the greatest, there were two things that, and I, that I got a chance to, uh, see was with the crossbills, I, I got to the point where I was tracking a flock and got to their territory and they were, um, I, I documented courtship, which was great. So I, I never got a nest on them, but, um, that was like huge. It was great for my region. Cause I, you know, Ottawa isn't the most Northern of Ontario where, you know, like Algonquin or where, where other crossbills, um, were being, were nesting, but, um, that was great for the Ottawa region. And uh, I also, been, and uh, I'll come back to this too, but goshawks are my thing. <laughs> I love northern goshawks. And um, I always knew some were nesting and I, I saw them carrying nesting material um, in that forest. So that was, that was like the two best things. I, I, I just was, I was so happy. <laughs> like, I, you know, here's everything. <laughs> That's awesome. Those are both just yeah. absolutely gorgeous birds. Yes, yes. Yeah, for sure. So uh, who, well, so you mentioned that you had your, your group of birders that you started with, but who or what do you think has been the most influential in your birding? Um, I think that that uh, I, I was really fortunate. So yeah, the, the group that I started birding with um, were already, uh, for the most part, a few of them were really already into birding, um, but also general naturalists as well so going out with them was amazing because you know it's it's not just about I was always like okay can we hurry up can we stop looking at fungus because <laughs> <laughs> um, I always wanted to see well what's in the hedge up there but um they I learned so much from them like they don't even know how much I learned of dragonflies butterflies um trees flowers orchids you know everything herps they were a lot of them were into herping as well yeah. um so uh, <laughs> that's that I wasn't so much like the snakes can stay where they are thanks but um bats moths everything so I learned a lot from them and that really influenced me in looking more um holistically at birding but uh in addition to that I was so lucky that I got sort of taken um, under the wing of a very accomplished birder a very uh of a, a mentor you know who taught me field craft after you learn the skills of id and birding by ear and everything then it's i i just like next leveled under him and he's a he's he's why i was the principal atlaser for those squares and involved in the atlas like i was before i had to move but um uh that influenced me the most it it's was careful birding you know uh not just ticking off the ticks uh, of of the birds and counting them, but um, every little detail and behavioral and just watch, watch one bird, you know, and bird every bird, bird every bird, because you, you don't know what's in that flock. So just uh, that influenced me the, the most, I'd say. That, that's great advice. I know I always like see, you know, a group of birds, I'll check like the first like third of them. And then it's like, okay, yeah, they're all chickadees, whatever. Yeah. But- yeah, it's easy to gloss over, but you know what? It's that last bird that's a brambling, right? <laughs> of course. <laughs> See, that's why I'm never going to find a rare bird. I'm too impatient. <laughs> so yeah. uh, what's it like to be a woman birder in your area? Um, okay, so that this is hard for me to say because here in Calgary, I'm just starting over, you know, so uh, I... I can already tell though that here is it's way less intense and I might this might be me being a newbie but it is definitely not the crazed um 
Ottawa was just, there was always a rarity. Always, there's all, right now there's like geese, like crazy, all the rare geese, you know, there's a pink footed in the area and it's, it's like you drive around like crazy and everybody. Um, <laughs> so here, here is a lot more casual. I do know some people here just through the years. I did a Christmas bird count um, a few years ago and through social media, you know, you, you know, some people and I've just started meeting people. In fact, I just met two women birders the other day the other day um we were, i was looking for a rarity that is long gone now of course but um it seems to be uh, very friendly here ottawa was fantastic there was i personally never had any um aside from my own personal insecurity and shyness and you know feeling inadequate <laughs> you know you step up to all these these you know men birders and they're all kitted out with their scopes and their everything and and uh i'm with my bargain basement binoculars back you know back then but um i was always i always felt welcomed um in in ontario in general i've had experiences where you know i got mansplained to you know that kind of thing and and questioned on my id and um say no it's not that and you know then later i'm like and uh, well i'm the one that got my sighting confirmed on ebird so you know <laughs> one of us was right there but uh that's ha that has happened to me but i'm not in ottawa and uh not here so far but i mean i haven't been able to be out that much here but honestly it's quiet here still it's still um not much going on but uh, ottawa was was just a wonderful place to be uh, a female birder because um lots of very accomplished women birders had already you know trailblazed for for me basically so i have to give a shout out for that because they run the show for sure that's amazing and it, you know it's funny what you're talking about how like intense it was before and you're where you lived before and then it's a little bit more casual where you're at now yeah uh, you know we lived in texas for a while in the rio grande valley and there it's like oh. go 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 you have to bird every single day uh, and yeah. then moving to where we're at now on the oregon coast it's like you know i'll look at birds and everything but if there's rarity showing up and if it's not within like half an hour of me it's like mm, i'll just let it go <laughs> yeah you know what it's 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 much it's same i'm having the same experience because ottawa was like it's, i mean it's not nothing like texas but Oh, it just was like, oh, wow, there's this, there's this, there's this. And then also it's in within driving distance to go to Kingston or even Toronto or, you know, where you get some of the major rarities off the Great Lakes kind of thing. And uh, yeah, it was just, it, you had to be prepared. It was intense. It was crazy. And here, um, I, I don't have as much freedom as I used to also, but uh, here it's just like, oh, okay, there's a, <laughs> you know, there, there's this bird or that bird. And, and I'm like, well, all right. <laughs> not, yeah, it's not, it's not within half an hour. Yeah. So it's much, much more casual. It's much quieter. Yeah. Yeah. I never really thought about birding peer pressure, but yeah, it's funny how that <laughs> oh, works. You got the FOMO. It's like, ah, oh, I don't want to be the only one not getting that bird. <laughs> Gets crazy. I know. Yeah. yeah Eric and I, uh, my husband and I, we, um, we yeah get FOMO over birds all the time like something will pop up in Washington State which is like you know it'll be like two or three hours from us and all our friends yeah. with Portland Audubon will go see it and it's like oh, I really <laughs> want to go see but I can't leave my house <laughs> I know I know that's this I know it's painful it's painful <laughs> oh. <laughs> so um what advice do you have for other women birders 
Um, I think that for, first of all, and I think this is, this, this goes for everybody is be safe. You know, if you're, if you're out in the bush by yourself, make sure someone knows where you are. Like that's, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but especially for women and I have sort of a, I have a skewed kind of worldview just because of my work. <laughs> so sure. I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit, um, affected by that. And that's just how the lens through which I see the world, but um, be careful. But also um, I think if you're just starting out as a woman birder, um, it's, it's, I know it's hard and you can be, you can be nervous, but I think one of the best things to do is join um, the local naturalist society, because even if all the board of directors is like, pale male and stale guess who's leading the trips it's it's women birders are always the guides it seems so that's a great way to sort of meet um meet meet fellow women birders i think and just sort of get if you need if you want the comfort zone like that but also um a big thing would be like have just have confidence and this is for every this is like every you know, girl power speech for every walk of life, have confidence, you know, it's, things are changing uh, in a big way, you know, my, I think it's going to happen organically. And I think it is, as you know, the older generation and those, those generational um, blind spots kind of get through attrition, <laughs> we get, we kind of can move through it. Um, but I, I just, yeah, I would like, I would like to say, um, just have confidence and stand your ground. You know what? You, you have just as much right to be at that sewage lagoon as everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> so that would, and I wish I could tell myself that going back. <laughs> you know, I've only ever heard one other person say pale, male and stale. And I thought she made that up. Oh, <laughs> I I don't think I made it up. I, I no, yeah, I've heard it. No, I just, it's just such a great phrase. Yeah, it's it's kind of like encapsulates the entire sometimes the reality of what you walk into, right? Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. So you had a, it sounds like you had a, a great, you know, supportive group of um, birders that helped you get started. So how can we be more supportive of uh, beginners? Yeah. So um, it, this is fun. This is a funny question for me because I, I really feel this is the first time I feel this way. I can say I'm not a beginner anymore. Like, I don't know when it really happened, but I, my own in my own mindset I'm on the other side of it now whereas even just as much as you know three four years ago I was like oh I'm just starting I don't know <laughs> um I think to be supportive of of beginner birders um especially now okay and as a birder like on the other side of it not being a beginner anymore um I think I've I feel like I have a responsibility to to help beginner birders and kind of set them up for success so I was thinking um, with the pandemic, everybody everywhere saw suddenly everybody's in the park. There's a billion people on the trails and they're all birding or they've picked up, they've taken up photography. And um, I think the disconnect that I have seen, unfortunately, and was very aggravating was just a lack of ethics. There's just in, intentional or not, you know, mm -hmm. um, seeing that, you know, cutting the branches off the tree so you can get a better, sh a clear shot of the owl and shaking the tree so it opens its eyes and not thinking there's anything wrong with that or thinking, well, if it was scared, it would just fly away. Like just not having a clue about why, what that owl's reaction is and why I think it's, um, I'd like to set up 
I always try to work in some ethics to anything. So if I just, just a few weeks ago, I was at the, the river here cause I just needed to get out and I, there's, there were some ducks and I just had my binoculars and I was just like, okay, I birded for 10 minutes. I feel better. Um, a lady uh, came up to me with um, a huge camera, like no binoculars, so probably more of a photographer than anything, but um, asking me had I seen any eagles, which of course there's eagles everywhere here. So I pointed those out and then um, she wanted to know what I was looking at. And I said, well, I'm looking at this duck, but instead of just pointing out this was just this duck, I, I went into, this is a ruddy duck and it's special. And this is why it's not supposed to be here right now. And it's overwintered and just, you know, talking through it like that, but also saying, okay, like, let's not get so close to the shore because this bird is struggling for survival every day here and we don't want to flush it, you know, just add in a little bit of ethics there just, and just to set them up for not getting yelled at down the road kind of thing. Um, I think that that's a kindness that, um, I know I always appreciated when someone would say to me, um, even even if I was you know mortified, if I had been, if I was, if I slammed my car door, you know, as you get out at a site, um, just help them get to know the the lay of the land a little bit, and it will help them so much more than being yelled at and just feeling like, well, that was a stupid hobby, and everybody, I hate birders, you know. So <laughs> I like to support beginner birders, and yeah, a, a lot of compassion can go a long way. I know it's. I had to come full circle on that. And one of my friends convinced me and I was, cause I was mad. I'm like, look at everybody on the trail. This is getting ruined. Everybody needs to go back in their houses, get out of here, get out of here. You know? And uh, it's true. He said, no, we need allies. If people learn to love nature, you know, it benefits us all. And he's right. He's right. <laughs> as much as I needed to admit it. So I've sort of embraced that and, and uh, just be with compassion and just understanding. And um I know I was always so reluctant to ask anybody if I, if I came up to a spot where, you know, there's like four birders walking out of a, an area. And I always wanted to say, hi, what did you see? But I, you know, there's like the code, you don't, you can't say anything, but I've even noticed here um, there was a, a young birder uh, as I was walking out of a wetland, uh, they, there said hi what did you see was there anything good what exactly is here and where is it and I, I was so floored by just how they were just honest and asking and I I totally helped them I said yeah there's 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 snow geese there's this there's you know whereas Brie of 10 years ago I never would have but maybe that's just me I don't know I was always nervous but I think if if, if as a beginning birder you feel comfortable and you realize birders are nice it just helps everybody <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah I guess no. that that, that's a that's a great advice and and really great that you know you you approach it in that way um to like your example with the photographer like adding in a little bit of information I know there's plenty of times when people walk up to me and I'm like I'm looking at that bird that's right in front of me yeah <laughs> yeah I totally could rephrase that a different way so that's that's great I will definitely keep that in mind <laughs> yeah I'm trying <laughs> right we're all trying <laughs> so do you feel that you found your place in the birding community? Um, here, not yet. Uh, I'm, I'm just starting, but I mean, that's to be expected, right? So it's I'm kind of everything I built up in Ottawa, um, is, is I'm kind of back at zero here a little bit, but, um, in Ottawa, absolutely. I've, I felt like I hit my stride and I was, you know, I was, um, very much a part of the birding community. I had just joined um, the birds committee on the field naturalist group. And yeah, I, I was at, involved with the Atlas effort and uh, I was uh, doing some other birding, you know, all the time. And 
yeah, I felt like I was really part of the community. I knew everybody, everybody knew me. It was, it was, that, that was a very sweet spot to, to find, finally get into, you know, <laughs> it's can be hard. It can be hard. It's, it can be very, uh, um, and especially in Ottawa is a really competitive, intense place. So it was, it was great. It was great to be, um, well, so welcomed and just so accepted and, and just part of such a great community. Um, I hope it's, uh, I hope, I hope I can do it here too, <laughs> even though I won't, I don't have the freedom. I can't be out birding 24 seven, you know, anymore, but um, I'll get out there as much as I can and, and, and meet people. I'm also a lot less shy. Like those, the two women I just met the other day, I just, you know, pre old Brie would have, you know see all the birders at the side of the road oh that's where the bird is i'll just drive by and pretend i'm not birding but i'll come back you know it, i just was crazy but now i just i pulled up and i just walked right up and and because i i have confidence now and you know i know i might not know all the birds here and and blue jays sound different and everything's weird here but um, uh, i i still can say hi is the bird has it been seen you know just there you know i'm here for the bird i'm not gonna pretend i'm not because i clearly am so um yeah i'll try i'll see it, it seems pretty okay here but ottawa was great ottawa yeah i was definitely in the birding community there in my yeah. mind anyway maybe i wasn't but i think i was <laughs> well i'm sure you can facilitate the same thing it's just gonna take yeah. a little time <laughs> so what has been the most memorable bird or birding experience Okay, this this one I didn't have to think too hard. Everybody who knows me knows my thing with goshawks, and the reason that this was is that um, I was very lucky. I lived, like I said, rural. I had my ex-husband and I had a an acreage very forested, and I was the crazy person with a billion bird feeders, you know, like four pole systems, platform feeders, bird baths, houses, owl boxes, everything, everything. So, uh, you know, my milkshake brought all the birds to the yard kind of thing. And there was that big forest track behind the house. And um, the, my, the raptor in my yard was a northern goshawk. I could look out the window and there would be the goshawk, sometimes two, an adult and a, and a juvenile, um, every, every winter, reliably. And I always had goshawks, you know, always seen goshawk there. And uh, the, the best experience I ever had was, um, I also had a, a barred owl was always, you know, there was one... Uh, they they would breed in the forest behind me too but there was one I, I feel like he might have been in trouble it was winter and he was really hanging out at the feeders and eating the the voles and stuff and he was just perched in the tree like he always was during the day just roosting and then a uh, juvenile goshawk came and perched in the tree above him and I swear to you this goshawk had no idea what this owl was because he just he was starting to preen and then noticed the owl below him and it was such an awesome face-off and I actually filmed it it's on my Instagram there's a segment of it I was shaking I think I dropped the camera but um the uh, the barred owl actually ended up chasing the goshawk out of the yard it was wow. amazing yeah, it was amazing. So um, that that kind of that blue that was it. That was it. Now now I I was obsessed with goshawks. You know, I read H's for Hawk. I wanted to get my falcon license, like all that kind of thing. <laughs> just a little bit like that's not realistic, but um, I just love them. So when I saw the goshawks carrying nesting material, you know, I it was just such a moment for me. That's my big thing. It was goshawks, hundred percent, big deal. <laughs> that changed forever <laughs> i loved it awesome. <laughs> yeah so uh what what sort of changes would you like to see in the birding community um i think i think that that a a big factor is making it 
this is, but this is hard because it's a business, right? It's just so expensive. You know, optics are so expensive. I have such a beat up old used Kawa, like secondhand. It's, it's got stickers all over it. You know, that's my scope. That's what I could afford. Right. And I mean, it works. It's, it's my little workhorse, but, um, binoculars are expensive everything i wish it was more accessible you know to everyone that way um i know that when i ever when i replaced my binoculars i just you know i upgraded them um i gave my old pair to a friend who couldn't otherwise afford you know a pair of monarchs you know they not that those are the highest end binoculars but just that's a that's hundreds of dollars right that's a lot it's a lot for someone and um she's had such joy out of those binoculars you know just it, it gives you the tools right mm-hmm. um so making it accessible financially also you know for mobility limited people and you know it's I don't want to see forest paved, obviously, but um, I think it, it can be, you know, we can help make things a little more accessible to to everybody, no matter what their limitations might be. Right. So um, I think I think uh, I think we can do some work with that. I don't know. I'd like to because I know there's a lot of people who want a bird, but, you know, they feel like they can't because they don't have the tools or the access. Right. Yeah. So. I don't know, but I don't know what the solution is either. I don't know how to, I don't necessarily know what to do about that because, <laughs> you know, uh, Nikon isn't going to lower their prices, right? <laughs> so, yeah. And I, I think there's a lot of programs, like budding programs, you know, to have binoculars available at like libraries and like visitor centers, but it's still not something that's really grown as much, like checkout programs. So yeah. maybe that, you know, can happen at some yeah. point. But yeah, I really, I really like your answer on that. I, I know I get caught up in like having the equipment and I feel like special, you know, it's like, oh, I got a scope and I got binoculars and everything. But then I tell people like, oh, you can, you don't need gear to do it. But I'm like, I'm not walking the walk. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, yeah. Like, okay. You can, you can go outside and if you get good at birding by ear, you know, like we all, like I never turn it off. i I, I hear mag, I've got magpies here also, which is awesome, but there's magpies outside. And, uh, you know, I ne- I'm always listening. Are they, are they just chattering or are they mobbing the owl again? You know, that kind of thing, but you can bird by ear, but that's a whole, that's a huge skill set to obtain. And h- how do you bird without binoculars? Like, yeah. I don't, I, I know in the 1800s, I guess they did, but didn't they also shoot all the birds and <laughs> look at them that way? Yep. <laughs> So um, that's not an answer either. But yeah, you're right. I know. It's nice to have all the gear and and even, um, you know, the outdoor, like just the clothing, just the, like, it's a, it's, it's, it's a paycheck, right? To, yeah. <laughs> to get all the right stuff and everything you need to go out in the field for a day and be comfortable and warm and everything. So yeah, it can be a, that's why I think there's a, um, a, there's the whole image of the, you know, rich retired birder, right? With mm. all the billion scopes and tilly hats and all that sort of thing so uh, i'd like to see that change but i i don't i kind of don't know how to do it how they can because you we do need binoculars yeah 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 that's yeah sorry i got my wheels going thinking about yeah (laughs) So, so what do you think is the most valuable thing you've learned from birding oh birding for me uh it was it is um the I think one of the greatest things that that's ever happened to me because it has given me the the 
peace and just the connection that I needed. Um, it's, I went through a lot with my mental health with work and then had, uh, I, I had a huge loss in my life and the grief was, you know, almost insurmountable and, um, burning is what burning is what saved me. I just to be able to be in the forest and, you know, um, and just to listen or, or just on the city street, just anywhere, just even, even a ring billed gull in the parking lot, just stop for a second. Look at how gorgeous that bird is. And uh, gulls are, I like, forget that group. I'm never burning gold. I can't do it, but I still appreciate them. Right. Um, I, I love them. And, uh, just, I, they're just gorgeous. And if you just, it, it gave me such a sense of peace that no matter where I go, you know, there there's birds and there's a chickadee singing, you know, and it's just a comfort of, I'm not, not that I'm not alone, but also, um, like I, I so don't matter. Like I, there is a whole, there is a whole drama being played out on this planet that has cares not an ounce for me and my stupid problems. Right. So it, it, it gives me a little bit of perspective, but it also gives me the, just that connection with nature. I just feel like um, it's, it's given me a sense of being tied to a place or, um, a sense of belonging somewhere, you know, like, and, and uh, because I noticed, I noticed you birds. I noticed you gull. I see you. I, I love you. I see you. And I appreciate you. And I hope you, you love that French fry and go for it, you know? <laughs> and um, I, I just, I, I think birding, it, it keeps you in the moment. You know, you have to focus, right. You have to, and you can forget everything that's going on and also just appreciate everything that's happening in nature, you know? Um, and, and, uh, what we and it, but then you know I also get mad, you know, if someone's like with their leaf blower twenty four seven. Like the bird's trying to sing, he's trying to. You're stressing him out with that noise, you know. It just things upset me, like pollution and noise pollution and light pollution and everything else that's hurting the birds. You find out about and it can be disheartening. But um, that I I just love birding, just walking quietly in nature. I think that's a kind of a universal thing for those of us who know what it can mean. It's, it's very special. It's, it, it saves, it's, I think it saved me personally. So um, I know I'm not alone saying that birding helps mental health, but I can speak to it for real. It, it definitely was a huge impact for me. Well, thank you so much for sharing everything about your life and birding. And I just, I appreciate it so much. And if folks want to find out more about you and um, your birding experience, how would they do so? Um, yeah, they, well, I guess the best place would just be my Instagram. I guess I post on Instagram now and then it's just bird girl Brie. And uh, yeah, I'm trying to get out there more. I've been out a few times here, but uh, no, that's, that's it. And yeah, feel free if anybody wants to message me and say, Hey, I'm in Calgary too. <laughs> No, that's, that's fine with me. Um, but thanks so much for having me, Hannah. This has been really fun. Okay. <laughs> so thank you so much, Brie, for joining me for this episode. It was so much fun to learn more about you and how birding has impacted your life. And I hope you all had uh, a great time listening to this episode as well. So thank you for tuning in. And please, if you would like, you can rate, re review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Music, and anywhere else you listen to me. If you'd like to connect with me, you can do so by following my Instagram, which is Hannah Goes Birding. My Twitter is at WomenBirdersHH, or you can email me at WomenBirders at gmail.com. I also have resources and information on GoBirdingPodcast.com. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I look forward to seeing you at the next happy hour.